Today's episode is a bit different. Reggie and I have two guests today, so there are four of us in the room, a bit more rowdy than usual, but still going to be very chill. But what's different is that, unlike a typical finance podcast where we talk about personal finance tips, investment strategies, and financial concepts, today we're going to explore the topic of our Singaporean identity, but with a finance point of view. So our theme for today is our Singaporean identity and how personal finance is tied to it. We describe it as a Mythbusters episode in which we take certain beliefs and then we break it down and see if they still hold true. Therefore, we're going to discuss certain topics like housing, education, CPF and your salaries. We're going to challenge your assumptions, we're going to explore some ideas and talk about some sensitive topics related to money. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My name is Andrew and welcome to another Chill with TFC session. In this series, we hope to bring on interesting and relevant people to help us learn better from various perspectives. Life is not always about learning from the people you agree with. Different perspectives shape us to be more well-rounded in our thinking. So in the pursuit of the life we love, while managing our finance as well, let's explore our Singaporean identity from a finance point of view. Our two guests today are from SG Explained, a podcast that explores what makes Singapore, Singapore. They cover a broad spectrum of topics, so today we're going to come from a finance point of view. That's our focus for today. And during the conversation, you will hear us mention Three Potatoes a lot. Yup, that popular YouTube channel. You can go Google it because one of our guests was from Three Potatoes. But both of them are content creators doing good work in the podcasting space and beyond. Let's welcome Rovik and Elliot. So let's take a look at the first myth for today. Myth number one, basically public housing. In our public housing episode, one thing that we discovered was that, you know, this, I guess, belief that buying a HDB flat is for asset appreciation. Uh, that is not necessarily true, right? We actually did some research and we were looking at that narrative that's been building out since the beginning of our independence and how public housing was given as this idea of like, you know, you get to build asset ownership, you get to have a stake in your country, up to 99 years. Uh, after 99 years, <laughs> your stake in this country expires. <laughs> no, you, you've expired by then, 99 years. Well, so that's interesting, right? So a lot of people bought into that in the 1960s when we became independent. But, you know, it's been more than 50 years and 50 out of 99 is more than half already. So people are starting to realize that, you know, that story about asset appreciation, about how... Buying a HDB flat is an essential part of our Singapore identity, not necessarily true anymore. Yeah, in fact, like we learned about a few things like the buyback scheme, for example, right, where older homes that want to be taken back by the government, for example. Um, so it's like, hey, you, you have like 35 years left on this thing. Can we have it back? Like, right. we'll, pay you a little, we'll pay you some money so that your retirement years are fantastic. Here's like 800 bucks a month or something. Uh, and yeah, we'll... 99 years, not so much anymore, right? No, and all no. these little things uh, that come in between uh, that made us change our views a little bit. Uh, I still think public housing is great, don't get me wrong, but um, in terms of whether it's about asset appreciation, I think that kind of skewed the perspective a little bit more. Yeah, and, and for me, basically, that shaped how I approached 
even my personal finance, right? So how does it change? How does so, it change? So, I mean, I'm definitely sure eight hundred dollars a month <laughs> is not enough. It's not enough. It's yeah. not enough. It's always just to like kind of. It's kind of like a mortgaging a house, right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay, a very simple idea is that basically. Uh, when I started my first job, everyone was saying, oh, you got to save up all your money. You got to, you know, wait till you get married and then buy that property or BTO or whatever, right? And I, I see that eye rolling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Like, yeah, you know, everyone sees this, but... Obviously, I'm not bought into that. And a big reason for it is because I guess I was... I, I studied in the US and in, in London and I got very exposed to different cultures, right? And one of the big cultures is you leave your home after you graduate because it's a way of charting your own independence, of starting your own story. And so I was actually thinking, what would it look like to rent? And the moment I say that, oh my God, everyone will tell me, no, 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 stay with your parents, just tahan oh, yeah. until like you get married. And there's a lot of assumptions there, right? First of all, like, will I find the love of my life? I don't know, right? I hope so, but we don't know. Uh, and secondly... What's wrong with renting, right? What's wrong with starting your independence early, starting to, like, build your sense of self? And, yeah, so basically two and a half years ago, I decided to rent because I was thinking to myself, this this whole narrative around asset appreciation, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Really, really. <laughs> because I think this is important, right? You... Then the narrative is you'll find your partner and then you two of you will go to get your BTO and blah, 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 yeah. whatever, all that jazz, right? And if you think about it, if you've never lived with your partner ever mm-hmm. you know like you live in your mom and he's living with that or, or whatever and yeah. then and then you never live together ever and then we're gonna commit to this thing right then suddenly it's like a big leap all the way forward right yeah so, financially oh, okay. that sounds like a risk already right? yeah, yeah it's i mean huge risk yeah for sure. in financial terms this relationship is risk- financially and personally, and personally yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, a very yeah, risky yeah, business yeah, yeah. And, and it becomes such a big like financial anchor as well like yes when you get married and everything yes, happens yes. I know people who stay in problematic marriages or relationships oh, yeah. just because just of the, the house, yeah. just for all those things. And if you think about it, eight hundred bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month, which you, you know you get a room, right? You don't, you don't, you don't get a whole apartment. Yeah, but unless like you, your finance bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you think about it, if it's like you and your partner, a thousand bucks a month, that's okay. That's a that's a very low bar to experiment to see if we could live together. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's way more important than, you know, just kind of saving that $500, right. you know, going into a BTOs are really... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? So. And even if you're not in a relationship, right, it's a good way to, you know, build your network in the city, which is what mm. I do, right? Mm. I live right in, in the city. I get to meet a lot of people. Which part of the city? Uh, in, in Duxton. Oh. Yeah, so, so I rent uh, at wink, the, wink, <laughs> wink, wink. I rent at the pinnacle. pinnacle. Which is, yeah. Oh, oh. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Golden Mall, <laughs> right? We should be at the pinnacle today recording. <laughs> I don't have your setup, la, like all the, no, the fancy lights. No, like. we can set up. It's okay. I want to see it, the view and yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Robert, so, you never even invite me to the pinnacle before. Uh, oh. <laughs> I feel like I have, Elliot. You just refuse no, to we come. Always, we always meet next door. We always meet next door. Yeah. We don't at the pinnacle. Itself. We're straight clan. We're straight clan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. That's right. That's well, right. the thing about renting is that there's two narratives. Number one is it doesn't fit into the traditional mm-hmm. Asian perspective of like, taking care of our parents. Okay, you sure. might not, you might or might not mm-hmm. agree with that. And number two is the financial aspect because well, you can move out and be independent, but people are gonna be thinking that it's not worth it. Yeah, like mm-hmm. money down the drain. So it, that's exactly what our podcast was challenging. What does it mean to be worth it? Right? Like, are you valuating the joy of like having your own space? Are you valuing uh, that opportunity cost of like not having to deal with 
some of the drama at home, right? All of that. <laughs> I, I that is so loaded. <laughs> that is so you heard loaded. You heard the angst in his yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. And voice like, <laughs> you know what? I just want the drama. <laughs> Alright, at this point in time, we're going to call out to Robic's mom. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Call out, call it's part out. part of the program. Or call out is like, like 90s, 90s <laughs> show. <laughs> you have her on the speaker. <laughs> but it will be suitable for calling out his parents, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, wait, but, but the whole idea about HDB not an asset right so recently we've been trying to get hdb on the show by the way shout out to hdb again please like come on the show and <laughs> mm-hmm. put out your case and all right and right it was so hard they're one of the hardest agencies to get right? i, I want to record this so that they know right people want to hear from them so i actually have their email saying that yeah you know we're not supportive of the whole asset appreciation kind of thing this is a social housing policy blah 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 yeah but the way bto's were priced has changed it has. From the very original way of pricing BTO, mm-hmm. which is construction costs, adding a premium, yep. now is land value with a discount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So how can you say that as a social housing policy, you're not after asset appreciation, you're not trying to get people to look at it as an investment, mm-hmm. but you pack it to, you know, land Some value, value yeah. right? Which is something that appreciates, assuming yeah. we keep expanding, right? Mm-hmm. So that is that is like... No, it's interesting because I recently bought my my house, my first home with my wife, and uh, it was always a toss up between getting a BTO, which in my eyes was you know because we went through this before was about do I want to buy something that has value in let's say five to ten years time if I want to flip it. Uh, in the end, we opted to get a resale because of the price, right? The price was significantly lower. A lot more grants have been pushed in order to get young couples to buy resale flats and then even in terms of say um, looking at the landscape of any sort of uh, community I bought one in Badok uh, it was definitely worth the money for a mature estate I as love is. mature estate East yeah. is awesome oh the East the, East, the place. East, no, the no, 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 East the best no, 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 okay. East the best East is the best come Life on long, okay lifelong Easty just saying okay I, I live in Tampanese for like, Traitor. For like no no wait <laughs> <laughs> Tampanese is like whoa, the far whoa. east whoa whoa whoa, <laughs> whoa guys Relax, okay. <laughs> relax. But yeah, I, I live in Serangoon now. Okay, and, and oh, still, you're still yeah. going. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait. Paraphrase. Let me make my case. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> let me make my case. I think the no East versus West debate is just still stupid because, <laughs> because you know it's the it's only so, debate we have. <laughs> yeah, it's so different. You know, and and like what Elliot said, right? Like you pick a mature estate, and a mature estate has its own identity. Yeah. Right, so you cannot compare Beauty World to Pasiris. Yeah. You know, like Beauty World is amazing for its own identity. Mm-hmm. Pasiris is amazing for its own identity. Also, for sure, right. For sure. So, so that's the beauty of mature estate. Where compared to a BTO, where everybody is like, you don't know who's coming in, you don't know what's gonna happen, it's and, fresh, and yeah. it's fresh. Well, now, now all BTOs, all BTOs look the same nowadays. In terms of design, I mean, in terms it looks of like every single park. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that we have like four hundred parks or something? Do you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That, 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 oh, that, we that, didn't know. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> we should do an episode I, I, I on did parks. a search on a certain day. I was like, how many parks do you think Singapore has? So it's like wow. 400 over parks. So I was like, really? You know, I realized uh, even that small little strip of land by the drain, all oh, that, that's all that, that's all that, all that a square and Ansiang Hill, right, right, you know, right. that like little, yeah, 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 yeah. oh, that's a park, Ansiang Hill. What? Oh, the little windy bend <laughs> yeah. that yeah, yeah, climbs yeah, yeah. up. I guess you could say that's a park. Yeah, it's barely a park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can't park anything there. It's so small. Well, I guess it's a park if it's under N parks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so yeah, that's yeah. how you define. Yeah, they define by their territory. I suppose. Okay, I'll just add one bonus piece. Right, so we recorded the public housing 
episode in 2018 when we first started. A lot of stuff has happened then, including the announcement of like the waterfront kind of public housing areas that they wanted to build. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're starting to see an evolution in the position because a lot of the public consultation that's come out basically has said, we don't want this to be focused on asset appreciation, right? We want this to be focused on, as you said, social housing. And then now there's a whole conversation around ethnic integration mm-hmm. and, the implica- yeah, and the implication between like this asset appreciation mindset and like, I guess, the dynamics of race, right? And, and so I think it's evolving and it's probably a good thing that in our podcast we started by even challenging that very premise and saying asset appreciation may be not so relevant anymore. Mm. That's the first myth that they have yeah, shattered. Yeah, today. definitely <laughs> not for that whole like HDB. Just rethink it. Thing, you yeah. know, if you are thinking of getting a HDB for asset appreciation, like, I mean, well, explore the premise. I mean, let me just put it to you this way, right? If a five hundred thousand, you know, bidadari BTO becomes a million in ten years, right? There'll be riots on the streets, <laughs> right? It's like, dude, it's like. You know, yeah, it's like it's just yeah, a everything is going at a million. Yeah. You know, uh, PAP will lose their votes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people will be very unhappy. There'll be more dissonance. So, with just with the basic understanding of politics and social and society, you know that this thing will it, it's it's hard to exist. Mm-hmm. Does not mean it's impossible. It's just improbable, yeah. right? So you probably see a lot of like policies that will come into depressive. Mm-hmm. But okay, you know these kind of things. Right, when you record, uh, you're trying to predict. Right, ten years later, it will come back and bite me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, you see, you see. It's It's in the archives. Yeah, it's in the archives, right? You're going on record. Yeah, you're (laughs) on record, right? But I think you're right. It's a watershed moment, I think, for like the generational shift especially uh, for us. Um, Speaking of generational shift, uh, I thought we would want to bust this myth as well, which is on education. So uh, this is how it goes. Education is equally accessible to all students in Singapore. Something that we've all heard in social studies textbooks. Every school a good school. Every school a good school. Number one tag. Oh, so long. Just seeing it as it is, right? <laughs> That's what I've heard from the grapevine, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every school a good school. Every school a good school. Um, but in our, in our episode that we did, actually research has shown that more affluent families have access to better opportunities as uh, they are in tier one schools in close inverted commas where programs such as GEP, IP, you know, those things exist. Tuition also provides like an unfair advantage for those who can afford to pay for it. Uh, we actually went to quite a lot of details with like even SEP schools, the yeah. GEP schools. We, so we interviewed a gifted education student. Yeah. Were you in that episode? No, I was not in this episode. <laughs> He's but not gifted in <laughs> I was afraid. I was afraid that the guy would like just laugh at me. It's like I don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah. No, we so we 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 talked to someone in the gifted education program, and he told us basically that the amount of opportunities that they get, a lot of it is is just disproportionate. But outcomes wise, uh, in terms of like wealth and, and, and all of this kind of stuff, there hasn't really been that much data around like whether GEP ne- necessarily ties to like better income but within the education system yeah you're absolutely right there is one study i can't remember exactly the name of the study but it was done in 2011 talking about social mobility yeah you know like like which like which what kind of family are you born into like class yeah and then like what are your chances of moving up right right? so there there is one study yeah yeah yeah. right but this one guy from ips can't remember what's the name but but yeah well let's think about it in it tie into 
meritocracy. Sure. The are uh, one of our favorite buzzwords <laughs> yeah. uh, in all our. Hey, shows. we're looking at the Singapore identity. We have to look at meritocracy. Yeah, meritocracy. One of the one of the core tenets, I would say, right, of the Singapore identity. Does not exist. <laughs> <laughs> and trying. Wait, to wait. Explain about- yourself. <laughs> do, do you truly yeah. believe that it does not exist in Singapore? Yeah, I truly believe okay, that it does not exist because okay, a few things. Right, one thing is I'm not a big fan of meritocracy. At its core of its idea, right, meritocracy is a slavery concept where there are a bunch of elites and and you know masters that, de- that decide what is considered merit what is what is meritable right so if you think about it it's quite true the government decides what is considered merit and then they will fund whatever that they think is meritable right so which is why for the longest time ever the arts the sports you know a lot all these not things pragmatic, not yeah. pragmatic yeah yeah all, all in the you know name of pragmatism and efficiency right so because these things they don't fall into the narrative of what is considered meritable you can run five meter on oh, no, a four meter sorry <laughs> run four meter you can be very fast i don't care unless you win the olympics so meritocracy right? taken to the extreme it leads to a, a technocratic yeah, so, so, that, so that's 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 a little a little bit of that, but more importantly, it's like why must there be, you know, a bunch of people that decide what is considered meritable, you know, as compared to social discourse and more ways of you know valuing an individual compared to you know the the centralized structure of like oh you know this is considered good so you should strive for it, yeah, okay, right? So. so to me that is fundamentally problematic, you know, but also because of pay to play. I think pay to play is a very big problem today, right? You know, so actually, I say a lot of loaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pay to play is a very big problem, right? Sure. If you if you come from a family and it's it's a classic situation. It's not unique to Singapore, but we're definitely at a crossroads. You know, where how as long as you run a particular game for a long enough period of time, there will be some people that succeed more than the others, and then their success will allow them to continue to spin off and give their kids, next generation, next generation, more advantages. Mm-hmm. All right. So essentially, pay to play becomes a problem, and when pay to play enters the game, meritocracy fails. Right. Or the or the idea of, you know, purely able, based yeah, on purely merit. based on like how smart you are as an as an individual collapses. Okay, I want to take this chance to bring up China because we've mentioned it a few times on our TFC podcast mm-hmm. because uh, China is cracking down on education. They're coming in saying that you have to be non-profit because like, it's so stressful, it's so competitive. And one of the reasons why is because of the inequality when it comes to education. Yeah. And number two, because of the broader policy that they want to encourage birth, birth rate, higher birth rate and well, if it's expensive to take care of our kids and if education is expensive, that's one of the reasons preventing people from wanting more kids, right? Which is quite similar to the Singapore it story. It applies here, yeah. People yeah. are scared of getting into, like thinking about family planning because when they add up the cost, the biggest cost beyond like, you, you know, your initial childcare is education. Yeah, but the CCP can just come in and say, you know, I'm going to make all education non-profit. Clarification. To make it more equitable. Clarification. The CCP is not a market economy, okay? It's a centralized planned economy with markets. Right. So I think this is something that is very important because a lot of people, when they look at the Chinese, you know, the the, the CCP's way of managing, I'll be like, what? Can they do that? I was like, yeah, that's how they do it. (laughs) Right? And, And in Singapore, we're somewhere in between. Okay, we don't have... We, do, we, we, we are a little bit more sophisticated in the sense that we don't tell you to vaccinate, but we give you a vaccine passport. <laughs> you know, so then we will create incentives to build people towards a certain direction. Like we don't tell you you need to have kids, but we make sure that in order to get HDB, you need to, you know, marry, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so we are a little bit more sophisticated with, when it comes to incentivizing the care and the stick structure, right? But the CCP is the yeah, centrally planned. Yeah, so it seems to me that they have more power in effecting change because they literally can can 
change policies like that. Whereas, I mean, in Singapore, you prob- well, I don't think the government wants to have the reputation of being too authoritative. Of course, of course. I yeah. think I, I don't, I, we are not authoritarian. Mm. Okay, that's why I, I need to put it up. We're not authoritarian. We're just very good at playing this game. Okay, mm-hmm. I, no, I think the carrot stick yeah. analogy is very is very strong. In order to you know kind of tr- train you or Pavlovianly speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Just get you to do the things that uh, would benefit their idea of a of a he- healthy and better society. Yeah, you want a chocolate, it, Elliot? <laughs> always, always. I don't know why I want it. I just know I want it. You know, uh, I think it was interesting because when we think of meritocracy, uh, at least from where I stand, and especially when it comes to education, it's something that you want to at a very basic level, teach kids that, you know, just work hard and your merits will play off. It's just that in reality, as an adult, you realise the flaws in that sort of logic. Uh, Does it help? When I was a kid, and, you know, people are like, you know, don't worry about what that other guy can do. Meritocracy dictates that if you work hard, you're going to get exactly what you deserve. And I felt that was very encouraging to a not-so-bright student such yeah. as myself. Yeah. So I can see the flip side. I, and I would also add, so I, I really like what you said, Reggie, because I think the point around merit and what defines merit is super important. Because we've done episodes with, like, soccer players. We've mm. done episodes with, like, art curators. We've done episodes with freelancers. And they've all fought to basically have their version of merit be recognized yeah. and, and to and to fight for their careers, right? And it's because uh, society has a very hard time defining that as merit. And so I, I like that idea of, you know, first of all, expanding what meritocracy entails, but then secondly, also really challenging the narrative that things are naturally meritocratic, yes. right? Because we need to keep looking out for whether... Uh, you know, the people at any rung in our society, can they get access to opportunities? If they want it, can they climb that up? And I struggle with, when we did this episode, I was really frustrated because I think every time you go out and you say, you know, is Singapore really meritocratic? Everyone feels like they need to defend that line. And I'm saying, we're not trying to, we're not undermining anything. We're saying we want the best for everyone. We want you to be recognized for your merit, but let's broaden that definition. Let's make sure we're actually giving you an opportunity, right? We can't just say, yeah, we don't want only the rich or only the ones with opportunity, uh, or only the ones with 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 wealth and that and therefore pay to play uh, to to be able to succeed in our society. That's a great phrase, by the way. Pay to play is just. I know that's that's I you, Reggie. I, I hope the Gen Z pick it up. Like <laughs> yeah. honestly, yeah. Come on, Gen Z, I believe in you. Yeah. It's true, right? I mean, it's it's a gaming thing, right? You it pay is, pay to play, is. right? And, and and that's that's very problematic. Yeah, and the flip side of that is, if you don't pay, you, you can't play. So. Yeah, and exactly that was what I wanted to add. Okay, like you can define your own narrative, you can do your own thing, and all that jazz. But recognize that the moment you attempt to define your own narrative, you're essentially taking a route with like very little resources. Right, because a centrally planned narrative has the most resources. Mm-hmm. Right? They they put money into wherever they believe, right? And, and if you are the governance, you will also do that. It's, it's no different from anyone else, right? So as a governance or as a people in power, you decide that this is meritable, okay, and we'll invest in it. And if you decide to swim the other way, then you jolly well be able to swim on your own. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a that's a real uphill battle. So I guess in your episode, you're not really saying that we don't have meritocracy or that's or there's no story of social mobility. It's more nuanced than that. Yeah, we tend not to take such hardline positions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's always an exploration of like what we you know naturally I would say naturally in open inverted commas believe. Like what are some of the prevalent narratives that kind of you know hit society? Things that you and I for some reason you know haven't questioned in maybe a decade or so, and then examine it under a more I would say a tighter lens. Yeah. yeah. Knowing what we know today, yeah? yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go to the next myth? 
So one of the one of the common tropes is that Singaporeans are basically badly paid. Uh, we are well, we're not as well paid as we should be, and I think that comes across in some of the stuff you see on Hardware Zone, some of the stuff you see on on Facebook, and you know it's actually a bit of a mixed bag this one, right? So so we'll unpack it. Uh, we did a whole episode on salaries. This was actually from our uh, previous co-host, Willie. Willie loves economic topics. And so he was the one that proposed this one. Uh, and the idea is this. Basically, nuance-wise, it depends on the sector, right? On average, Singapore's wage share of the GDP, which is around 40%, is lower than other developed cities. But one could also say this is not indicative as it doesn't factor in purchasing power, right? So... Price of food is cheaper. Price of transportation is cheaper. Uh, your tax rate uh, is cheaper. I think people will be like, really? Compared to? Compared to? Compared to, compared to London, compared to New York, where actually you're looking... Your you're, metropolitan you're, cities, Yeah, you're basically. basically comparing Singapore to other metropolitan cities. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're not comparing ourselves to like tier two, tier three cities in Southeast Asia because... Your standard of living is very different. And yeah, and the, the access, access to jobs. To jobs yeah, yes. Right. But... Where this comparison actually is interesting, and and I guess it's a fair conversation, is in sectors such as technology, right? Where Singapore is trying to become a tech hub, trying to you know get all the software developers and and tech investors. Uh, Singaporeans are paid less than other global cities, uh, like Silicon Valley in San Francisco, uh, or, or in California, and and even in London, and. It's the same for startup founders. So Glintz did, uh, so this is not in our episode, but this is recent. Glintz basically did a comparison of the startup ecosystem and they found that the startup founders are, are pretty drastically underpaid in Singapore as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, but, but what's interesting is that senior roles on the other hand. So when you start off underpaid, but when you hit a senior role, which I, think, I guess takes you like 20 to 30 years, uh, then you start to get competitive rates compared to uh, other cities. And and this is partially, I guess, because by that point, you're having much broader coverage, right? You are pegged to other senior roles in, in a company's like multinational structure. And if you think about it, it as a benchmark, you just have to look at our minister's pace, right? Because our minister's pace are pegged to our top 1,000 earners in Singapore. So if you want to know what our top... Uh, you know, CEOs and C-suites are getting paid. Just look at the ministers and kind of, you know, benchmark from it. So, yeah, it's interesting because it, it does show that starting off and I guess the core income earners in Singapore, yeah, you could argue that we're not getting paid as much and we can have a discussion on why. One could argue it's changing as well. Maybe in 10, 15 years, we could be getting as paid just as much as in the other cities, but you'd also expect inflation to follow with that. What about work. unions? Union union is an interesting thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like in Singapore, we say that we have unions, but honestly, I don't know what the hell unions are doing. Wait, really, we have unions shout out shout out to Richard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. NTC. Yeah, I mean, that's it sounds like we should do an episode on union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still need to do my shopping. It's okay. Sheng Shou, not bad. Sheng Shou. Oh, okay. Shout out to any supermarket who wants to sponsor the episode. We're like name dropping. We need sponsors, but but no, wait, wait. I think I think the unions. The thing about unions is is exactly the missing part in the discussion of wage right because uh, we we have this idea here in Singapore where everything is like closed door negotiated right not, oh yeah yeah I, I hear you oh I also hear you I also hear you and I will tell you all of you okay we'll take this right, let <laughs> me know? bring up the tripartite yeah yeah tripartite right 
right? That's why it's three people, right? But, yeah, three. <laughs> so, so it's, are the unions not powerful enough to negotiate? Because I have moved away from this idea that wage is solely a demand-supply mechanism. It's a lot about power and negotiation. How much can you fight? Yep. Right? Yeah. So if the unions are not active and they don't have the fangs, they don't have the hustle you know, to fight for wage growth, then... Yeah, everything will become the same idea of like bit by bit we'll push, we'll renegotiate again and again and again in in the name of stability and peace and you know uh, blah blah blah. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting. I think Singapore has a very unique context in that regard. So I challenge all unique contexts in Singapore. Right? <laughs> Singapore always uses this thing when we are doing better than other people. We'll say, yeah, you see, Singapore's amazing. We're hitting above our weight. Right. No. When we're not. We'll say, oh, you know, Singapore's unique. We shouldn't compare other people. So right, I right. hate this. I just say <laughs> no, no. I, I hear you. I, I maybe I'll clarify. I'm saying that the way we apply ourselves is unique, not that we necessarily have a unique set of uh, circumstances that lead to our policy. Right. Uh, the first is that our focus on wage growth is on very specific sectors, right? So they look at very, very low-income sectors. I think they've demarcated it on their website around the progressive wage model. Yeah, let's talk about the progressive wage model. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, you first, so, Rebecca. So it's uh, like security guards, uh, uh, janitorial staff and cleaners and all this kind of stuff. And they're basically saying, we've demarcated certain sectors and we're going to look at what wage progression looks there. But you're right that for the rest of our very broad and wide economy, they don't look at it. They uh, argue that it's market demand and supply, which we can which we can have a conversation around. The second thing is then about the role of unions, which I think is, is interesting. So one would imagine, I guess you look at the US a lot and maybe parts of Europe uh, around what union practice should be like. Uh, Singapore's unions actually don't necessarily fight for wage. They focus on a couple of key areas, one of which, one of the biggest ones is retrenchment. So they basically make sure that if you are undergoing retrenchment, that you do it with consideration for your, your workers and that you make sure that there's fair remuneration. But even then, it's a negotiation process, right? Uh, but actually, in terms of like lobbying for wage increases and all of that, it's not really within mandate. And so it's a, it's a very interesting, circum, uh, I guess, decision within Singapore's ecosystem to not fight for that because they see that as market demand and market supply. And that is why you don't see as much of the unions in the news basically going out and asking for, like, pay increases or, like, taking going on strike, right? And oh, it's if they do go on a strike, it's not... Other not than SIA, right? Yeah, it's not... It's very <laughs> the rarely pilot like union, union uh, yeah. like, infamous. Shout out to you guys. <laughs> What so, a great way to fly. Yeah, <laughs> what a great way to fly. <laughs> so so in terms of that aspect, yes, the, the in terms of, of the workers having a lobbying platform in order to fight for a wage increase, there isn't that. The other factor is then uh, regional suppression uh, depression, right? Basically, who are we competing against? We're not competing against London and New York. We're competing against Jakarta. Why aren't Kuala we Nepal. competing with London and New York? We're going to talk about wage, yeah. yeah. Because if you're accessing Asia, you you basically can choose to do it from London and then struggle with all the, I guess, the cost of distance, right? No, no. I think it's more like if, if I am deciding to enter Europe, yeah. the discussion will be between like London, Manchester, you know, like sure. Paris and, yeah. you know, whatever you, right? So I'm comparing across different cities in Europe and decide like, okay, I'm going to do it here, yeah. you know, in, in some level, right? So I, I, get, I get that point that's yeah. coming from you. But if we're already taking the stance that, you know, we are 
the best place to go to, then shouldn't our people compare with London, New York, Silicon Valley, Shanghai, some of these bigger cities as compared to, you know, Jakarta? Like, like really? You want to compare with Jakarta? Mm-hmm. You know, and no, 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 okay, don't, don't flame me. <laughs> Not against Jakarta. Well, but- because like top engineers and, you know, developers are coming from places like Vietnam, Thailand. Yeah, and, and they, they come there for a reason, right? And their pay is, well, and anecdotally lower than Singaporeans. So I, I'm, I'm super against the like flood of cheap labor, right? So I think the excess of cheap labor definitely pushes the wage negotiation power and yeah. brings down. I wouldn't even say it's flood of cheap labor into Singapore. I would even say it's the company's ability to arbitrage ar- around Southeast Asia, right? They can say, we'll keep some of our key roles here. But then actually everything in the middle will kind of put it in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the same thing that, let's say, a lot of startups nowadays that's do. That's what and I do also. Just yeah, <laughs> same, same, no. As in, like, I have right. a branch office right in KL as well. So a lot of my, the blue-collar jobs, so to speak, you know, kind of stay in uh, KL. And then management, you know, we generally think as, like, the strategic, the front-facing guys, the brains behind the operations, they kind of sit here. And of course, the, you know, compare wage one for one and whatever I would pay a senior here, um, a senior marketing guy, let's say 10 grand SGD, I would pay 10 grand RM <laughs> in, in KL. So it's a very strange way of looking at this, but uh, we are comparing not, not like one to one kind of jobs, right? There is a very strong brain drain that I feel that happens regionally because Singapore tends to want to attract that kind of hub. And it wants to say like, oh, um, we are the branch to like the international space, but especially like English being like our lingua franca, for example, to be able to speak it and to uh, kind of house it. So we have this very like clean face, I would say, like, most of the time compared to, uh, let's say, doing business in uh, Vietnam, which we, we've tried before, uh, but it's just not as sexy, you know. Right. In the past 20 years, I, I, I think Singapore has always had that stronger air of presence uh, moving into, say, a global market. I'll take a step back and go back to the original myth that we are busting, which is Singaporeans, Singaporean workers, if you listen to online chatter long enough, Singaporean workers are not paid well enough, right? So, but now we're talking about, well, it could be over, overly paid or, or more expensive than other workers. But of course, it depends on sectors, depends on the positions, right? Yeah, so this, this I wouldn't say we've busted the myth. I would say... We've complicated the myth a little bit, uh, yeah. if anything. We've right? added some nuance to it, which is what SG Explain does. Yeah. Sometimes we, yeah, the, the myth perpetuates itself yeah. but then we just find other ways to think about it you know and also kind of see why these things appear in the first place like right. why this narrative stem out in the beginning yeah but I definitely think Singaporeans to, should get out of Singapore go, <laughs> interesting, out, interesting. go out explore the world see what's mm-hmm, out there mm-hmm. I mean I have a lot of friends that are working in Israel oh, yeah? Shanghai Tokyo so amazing because because it's, it's not just about like you know life there is definitely better but life there is different so novelty is something that I think we de- we don't have we don't have here oh, that, right that, that I would agree yeah, 100% you, yeah you can't shift to another city like where Tampines to where Topayo <laughs> <laughs> like oh it's the west yeah yeah, yeah 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 that's why the constant stupid discussion <laughs> but anyway yeah. but yeah so, so I think I think the value of novelty and experience is absent here right so if you are like young professional you got something going hey go out there check out the world you know see what's out there for you before you you make a decision you don't need to be here all your life and yeah you can just hold the passport here and live somewhere else like you're perfectly amazing. fine to do that amazing yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah just a very quick point on that I would definitely agree like when you look at New York London even Hong Kong 
the reason why a lot of them even get paid much better is because they get regional mandates or global mandates from the very beginning, right? If you're in a New York office, you're very likely looking after Europe, uh, Middle East from New York. Whereas from Singapore, a lot of times looking after Asia in itself, uh, a lot of people struggle with that. And then to go beyond Asia is a, is a whole new boundary. And I think people need to push themselves to want to take on those mandates as well. Yeah. Cool. So. Yeah. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Not not in a bad way, but yeah. yeah, like, you know, go out there, explore and see what's for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Shall we do the next myth? Yeah, okay. We have we have a couple more that we can do this. Um, so this was something which I learned earlier on, just kind of like predicating. Uh, CPF gives you no options over a sum of your monies, right? Yeah, so people basically say you lock in your CPF, right? Yes. <laughs> well, well, we we actually think that there's a deluge of options, right? Uh, and how to use, like, for example, your ordinary account for like housing, investments, whether to put your money in like your ordinary account or your special account. Do and you invest? With your OA? No, I don't earn enough. To, <laughs> I put it all into my resale flat, basically. Uh, so do you wipe it out? Yeah, I wipe it out. You have to leave out. 20k, right? No? Yeah. yeah. Make yeah. 20K, yeah. So I, I basically just make ends meet. But I mean, I don't have to pay any cash for my house, which is a great thing. But you know, I, I think CPF is a very complex topic. And this episode that we did actually was to kind of help us understand a little bit more about the flexibility of CPF. Something at which we've if you have Chinese parents like I do, they will always drill into your head that CPF has strict and stringent rules. My Chinese parents are definitely like that. Um, may not apply Wait, to all of Just want to shout out, do your parents? My parents kind of leave I, my I, personal I want clarification. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? Chinese only? Yeah. I, I obviously don't have Chinese parents. Yeah, 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 I thought you were going to say yeah, yeah. that. I feel like Asian parents probably do that, but really? my, my uh, parents are unique in that they... Give me some agency over my own personal finance. So. Is, okay, but what's their <laughs> take on, on CPF, you know, compared to Elliot's parents? Well, yeah, they basically say, you know, try to maximize it, try to use it. And the whole point is that the CPF isn't like a vortex which your money goes into and doesn't, you don't see it, right? It's You can see it as a different sort of a bank account, right? A bank account with uh, a unique set of rules, but still options and permutations you can work with. So, for example, whether you want to go into investments, whether you want to uh, put it into your essay and get much a much higher uh, interest rate, right? And, and these are choices that sometimes I get paralyzed by as well. I'm like, what's going to be the opportunity cost if I move my money from my OA to my essay? What's going to be the opportunity cost if I start buying property and you know can i pay back the interest later on and so i would say that that very premise of like there are no options to your cpf uh prevents you from actually thinking about some of the opportunities that that exist yeah yeah but actually there's a what we found that was there was an abundance of options i think there are too many yes <laughs> the things that there are too many so that people generally don't maximize the worth of it yeah. uh what was, you know, I guess translated and passed down from generations was that it's very stringent and you just don't touch that money until you're like, you know, withdrawal age. Yeah. 
But in reality, we saw that um, there were th- there were things that you could do with your CPF. They were actively trying to promote for you to invest it. Like there's a huge call. In fact, this year's campaign from CPF was specifically to get you to try like some simpler options compared to you know like other years where you just leave it inside and let it rot. So yeah, maybe just kind of pick your brain since I'm not I'm not a genius on this. But are there I would say simple entry options for people to think or like find out about CPF? Since you guys, you know, kind of talk about, um, I guess, the financial aspect of investment a lot of the times. I think I think CPF has definitely chilled a lot of materials these days, yeah. right? So they have they have a website. I can't remember exactly what what's the name of the website. They, they change the way they give you your annual report. You know, every year you get a letter, yeah. and they, they change it to more graphical. It makes you help you understand. Yeah, there's an app. Do you know? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I use the app. You use uh, the app? Yeah, because... The some... UI is way better than, like, pieces of paper. I like the app. Fantastic. Like yeah, the yeah. App. yeah. So yeah. I, th- I, think, I think that's a good push, yeah. you know, with, with the whole UI, you know, gives you better understanding of what's going on, right? Well, side note, uh, before I would go to uni, after NS, so I was working part-time at CPF for a short period of time. Oh. Uh, back then, there was some... I forgot which... So so basically, you, you, you get some money from th- through your CPF, right? Mm. What what grant or what scheme? Oh, that was so long ago. That, that's like a, a past life, lifetime... And so I was there. So I think the thing about CPF is so complicated, so hard to explain. So every day I have uh, people coming in to ask questions about their CPF and most of them are elderly. And it's not easy to explain, let alone understand it. There's there's so much complexity built into the system. And I I can understand why because at first you have a a basic system and then after that you have to take into account a a scenario and and therefore the policymakers have to add this and add that. And and now it's just a a whole convoluted mess. Yeah, yeah. I just want to put it out there that CPF is not like fiber broadband. You know? like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like... It's not plug and play. Yeah, it's not like, it's not like oh, you know, we, we built this out of nothing. It is, it's more like a mutated, you know, <laughs> mushroom yeah. or something. It, it's, this, it's this interesting tension between wanting to give you flexibility within, I guess, you know, some parameters and then information overload and option overload, right? Where yeah. basically, what does it call? Uh, something paralysis. Choice uh, paralysis. Choice paralysis, right? And so... I think that's where this myth comes about because people say it's too confusing. You just want to keep my money, mm. right? And therefore, I can't do anything with it. And I get that. Like, I can I'm, sympathize I'm, with that. I'm very sure if people can make a flowchart about, like, you know, who can eat, dine out during this period of time, <laughs> we can definitely do a flowchart. To be fair, those flowcharts aren't even that great. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh. No, right. but, but right. I do think the CPF team is trying. Mm. Like, they're, I yeah. really feel like, they're, you know, I'm not, not saying because we're friends, but, you know, it's like, I really can tell that they're No, trying. I agree. I agree. They're putting out a lot of information, well, a lot CPF of CPF to me is like insurance. I can sit down with my insurance agent and understand what this policy is about. Two weeks later, I'll forget everything <laughs> that was mentioned during the conversation. Yes. You got me like, then, then I understand it. Like CPF, then, then if you sit down, if you go to a CPF office, you can sit down with them. They're very helpful. They're they bring really it to ex- the steps and everything. Yeah, they right? really explain yeah. it to you. But two weeks later, you're like, okay, what was that conversation about? Because it's just not easy to yeah. hold all this information in your head unless you are reviewing them every now and then. I yeah. see it's a lot of like creative like accounting and financing basically. Because when I was trying to finance my house, someone explained to me how, what was the best way to go about you know uh, paying through my OA. I was like, okay, this seems pretty straightforward the way you're explaining it. But if I had to Tell Rovic about what it was. On the podcast? On the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to record what that person says and just like play it on the mic. You know what I'm saying? You have to add a disclaimer called do your own research. Do your, yeah, <laughs> to yeah, your podcast yeah, yeah. listeners. This is not financial <laughs> advice. Uh, we'll yeah. just invite them onto our podcast. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'd rather do that. Yeah. 
Okay, so we have to unravel this beast. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're, we're, we're releasing a lot of episodes around CPF. Awesome. So, yeah, and we're also doing tuned. some cross pollination with CPF, right? Let's talk CPF. So, <laughs> yeah, we have some collab here and there. Yeah, let's so, build up the knowledge. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be helpful. Yeah, it, it's not as complicated as, you know, after a while, after a while, right? It's not as complicated, right? The basic stuff. I think what was interesting about the myth is actually people didn't think it was that complicated before. Like, if you ask someone from like a Gen Xer or maybe like a boomer age, they point out that CPF is straightforward. You just put some of your money in there every month, you're forced to deposit and you reach withdrawal age and you get your money back, right? In reality, it's not that clean cut. We can't even go to our withdrawal age and just take the, the money straight out back. No, you need to have above a minimum sum exactly. and all this kind of stuff. There's yeah. all these little <laughs> caveats here and there that we in our generation, we have to kind of play around and downloading that information to be smart about it is the difficult bit. Right. Yeah. 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 And and I think CPF is not after your money. I think that, that's something that people need to recognize. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, yeah. like the, the, a lot of people are saying, you know, CPF want to like eat your, your money, money and yeah. all that shit, you know, but... I just don't understand how that makes sense, yeah. but yeah. It's still your <laughs> money. I just, want, I just want to put it out there that, you know, if, if, um, if you can trust a for-profit financial you know institution whether is it your insurance company your brokers and whatever you then i think you can extend that same trust to cpf because cpf has an additional layer of like social you know goals and political goals and that's the reality right if if cpf is messed up you can be certain that the next round of election is gonna it's not gonna be the same it's not yeah. gonna be the same yeah. right so they they actually have more vested you know they're more invested yeah. in you and that than you believe you yeah. know so i think that's something to point out yeah, yeah. One last myth, yeah. And I want to talk about content creators since we have content creators in the house. Social media influencers. Okay, I'll bring it up. Where we can debunk it, huh? Yeah, three of you. I should have come here wearing a bikini, honestly. Yeah. Just for old time's sake. It's gone the intellectual route now. Okay, okay, okay. Pseudo, pseudo. Moving away from comedic listicles. Yes, times have changed. So the myth is content creators or social media influencers don't have to pay as much tax as they get paid in goodies. Tell us about it. Yeah, so. In goodies. To be fair, we don't get as many goodies. I think the only. potatoes get more, right? Oh, no, I got I got so many goodies yeah. back in the day. A lot of like, I would was... see your Instagram and you'd post all kinds of stuff. Do you know one of my favorite uh, things that Elliot did was back in his heyday as a, as a YouTuber. Sounds so sad. <laughs> as a YouTuber. Oh, yeah. He posted this random picture of just the floor. And I, I remember being right next to him when he had posted it. And it was just the floor. It, literally nothing. And it got like a couple of thousand likes. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, how ridiculous is it? I was <laughs> trying to prove a point. I was like, hey, if I took a picture of the floor, I'm very sure like a couple thousand people will like it and comment on it. Yeah, and true enough, it was like, cool floor. Like that was like a comment. <laughs> that's, like, that's how ridiculous I yeah. thought the influence was. There must be something was. deeper to the floor. <laughs> no, and people were asking me, it was like, what is this floor about? What is this picture about? And I was like, it's the, it's the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, lol. And, yeah. Like, yeah. and people would give him goodies and all this kind of stuff. And so, so I mean, these days, I, even when we were doing The Hidden Good, which was my YouTube channel alongside... Mm-hmm. Uh, alongside yours we when we got goodies there was a question of like is this do we have to pay taxes Texas? on this yeah <laughs> yeah like what is the rule right and the reality is that yes you have to file taxes and wait clarity uh, what are goodies so uh freebies like uh freebies it, tech so products, like, like things yeah, right like a tea company sends you some tea yeah how, how do you know the value then 
So, no, back then, when we were still, you know, partnering with agencies and stuff to get these things, you would actually have to ask for the declared value of said products. And, uh, well, this was like a couple of years into the influencing scene. So let's talk about like 2013, 2014, at the, at the peak of being laughed at, if you were an influencer. Uh, <laughs> at that point in time, people were questioning, you know, we were getting watches, we were getting like full paid vacations where it's just talk about Borokai. Wow. Do you remember, oh, Bor- remember, Do you remember yeah. Borokai? <laughs> I remember Borokai. <laughs> wow, it's 2021. I think Asia did that. Yeah. Yes. And they would just give you all these things and all they asked is for you to mention them in, in the post. That's when regulations started kicking in. They said, okay, all posts that, uh, you know, you didn't take any money from, you have to put hashtag sponsored post or something like that. And then we were all like, but we wouldn't know how much to get taxed. And that's when they said we had to declare it. So in, in, your tax form, uh, in your tax form, if you were a registered business, so Three Potatoes was a registered business, you'd still have to list down every single item. And it would be a, uh, our accountant would ask us like, hey, we need to tr- jot down every single piece of value. There must be an invoice if you can request for one and then like file it all together at the end of the year under uh, a special category, basically. Yeah. If you're an individual, so sometimes say... Um, when, when you're basically a freelancer or self-employed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for legal reasons, let's call them Daniel Bellington. So this watch <laughs> brand, they would... Daniel Bellington! <laughs> I was like, what? For legal reasons. Uh, any uh, similarity to yeah, any yeah, real yeah, brands yeah, is uh, coincidental. Uh, so yeah, if, if let's say Daniel Bellington gave you a watch, <laughs> you'd have to find out the value of said watch and declare it as well. Okay, I'm going to say that there's no way you can 100% get it accurate. No, and the thing is... I mean, this is this was a long time ago, but people would fake those numbers, right? Because the estimation, you know? the estimation, they would put things like cost price instead of the actual retail value of said product. So they would, and, and this was not just for the influencers themselves, but the business that was trying to give out these things because it would be seen as a expense, right? It would be marketing expense. Sure. So to reduce that on both ends, it would just say, oh, this uh, put down as cost price. This watch may be like ten dollars. Not that Benio Bellington is worth ten dollars, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, that's what they would do. They try to like fictional be, brands, be creative about it. Yeah. yeah, just be creative about it. <laughs> Virtual version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was interesting. Nowadays, you'll notice that a lot of influencers still abide by that same sort of like practice. Um, Micro influencers, so we're talking about less than like five thousand followers, or if their engagement rate tends to be about two to three percent of a much smaller number. Um, what happens at the end of the day is that they might un- they might not declare it because it's too small an amount uh, vis-a-vis their income. It's If you're a big person, say you're Xia Xue or someone, right? Definitely, the scrutiny on you is all-time high. I'm sure there are teams within IRAS that basically look after That try to look after the sector. these things. Yeah. Yeah. And well, she's part of a company, so that helps as well. I'm sure she has people Wait, helping her. is she her. still with Gush Cloud? Or? Um, she was never she part was of that. Never. <laughs> she was always fighting with Gush Cloud. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was... that tea I know very well. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, our, our guest on that episode was Althea from Gush Cloud. Yes, so. yes, oh, yes. So that was where we got some of that insight into the influencer scene. And basically, whether there's actually a career in being an influencer and yeah, it's it's so much of a career that you have to pay taxes on the stuff. The regulation around it, I mean, year on year has been more stringent, that's for sure, right? We always talk a little bit about um, how influencers calculate their income, for example. It's not as simple as I'm going to try to have 10 social posts this month and each post is, say, $500. It's not so, it's not, it's, it's one of those unstable type of things and you try to find stability by actually having your agent sell these things. Uh, how you declare it at the end of the day still uh, in that nebulous zone, <laughs> right? 
I think this goes goes the same for a lot of like uh, freelance talents, especially in like the arts side of the house. I, I always see influencers as just another form of content creation, uh, another indie artist, so to speak. Uh, how do you value your work, and what is what do you declare at the end of the day? Uh, is something which I think is still very fresh territory, honestly, mm. right? Uh, because you could, I could easily say like, yeah, this person paid me like a uh, hundred bucks for this post well, and there's a market rate, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my big takeaway was that all, all the young folks who want to be influencers as like their career move, like, you know, don't see it as like a free ride, right? Like you, <laughs> you still have to make economic choices and you still have to think about the cost benefit of doing certain things. And yeah, in-kind goodies are also going to be taxed. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not the freebies that you yeah. think they are. Yeah. <laughs> So. so if you want to be on the right side of the law, you've got to like have an Excel sheet and track everything. Oh, yeah. They, they, they want you to file no, it. So, so think about it, right? And here's the unique thing about taxing goodies. When you have to tax on declared value, you don't actually have cash, right? You have to, you have to pay from cash that you're getting somewhere else. And so it's not so clear cut. You need to be very clear that if all your income is in terms of goodies... Uh, Where how are you gonna pay your taxes? Yeah. Carousel. You have to you have to sell off the item that you got, right? Yeah. Carousel should have like a. What if what if you don't even really want that product in the first place? And yeah, you, you know can, you can reject the agencies. It. Oh, you can reject you, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've never rejected things, but you know, but it spoils relationships. Yeah. Yes, yes, and you definitely don't want to close too many doors, lah. That's for sure, right? Um, as the only time we've really rejected products is well it was for things that we didn't believe in or we felt like you know there was a disconnect between our audience and said product uh, imagine if a beauty like sk2 came up to me i mean sk2 i'm still looking forward to the day you <laughs> open the you know the conversation with me but if sk2 came to me he needs it <laughs> yeah, i do i do my, my outbreak has been pretty bad um but i wouldn't be able uh, to connect my audience. outbreak that's not too bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks dad for the oily skin uh, <laughs> It, it was it was one of those things where we had to be more discerning, um, not just because, you know, free stuff is great, but you have to be able to show your audience that you're not a sellout. I think that was the hardest bit. Uh, if you took a product that you just endorsed for the sake of it and people saw right through you, uh, there, was, there was backlash back then. Now the conversation has eased up a lot more. We know that uh, influencers say like, hey, you know, I'm just trying to make a living. I need to do these sponsored posts because of... So if you watch YouTube, right, there's always... Now they even mark out on a yeah. timestamp, this is the sponsored ad content for today. And then you'll skip it, right? You'll still skip it. But yeah. um, back then, the whole idea was subterfuge. Like, can you blend the product or the service or the brand into the content? Jack Neal style. Well, I mean, old Jack Neal style. New Jack Neal style is like, oh man, this is an example or counter example. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, but Ellen is correct. We are more accepting. I feel that we're more accepting. Like, I see a YouTuber and then he or she gets uh, gets an ad and you see the comments saying, oh, finally, you're getting sponsors. Yeah. You know, like maybe they deleted all the other negative comments. But I see comments like that, seeing comments like, you know, encouraging the YouTubers to get more sponsorships. Yeah. And they'll sit through it. I mean, like if you enjoy the content, I think it's about authenticity and that's always been a question and trust yeah this is a this is a conversation and we talk about influencing as though it's been around for a long while but it's barely a decade old if well you social media me. influencing social yeah. media influencing yeah. in it's the episode we talked about like old school old school yeah yeah yeah, yeah. your old endorsements and stuff like that but in the modern age we're only about 10 years into this 
give or take. So I don't know. I, I, what I like to think is that the conversation on how to regulate and help people who are independent content creators uh, still still needs a lot more work. But at the same time, you know, there has to be some sort of moderation or like scrutiny on what is advertising. Like how can I... We don't want to flip it off overnight in the sense I can just give you 10,000 worth of retail goods and then now you owe me that same amount as an influencer in terms of your content worth. Uh, hard, hard conversations to have. Okay, I think we've covered pretty much quite a lot of ground today. What we want to do, take some time to do a shout out, like this is the sponsor advertising. Right? <laughs> Tell us about SG Explain, you know, where to look for you guys, what do you usually talk about? Yeah, so SG Explain is an explainer podcast on all things Singaporean. Uh, if you think about some of the other podcasts, like Stuff You Should Know or How I Built This, it's it's basically looking at different features of the Singaporean identity and really tracing evolution, tracing the story, and actually learning new things. So we bust a lot of myths or we add nuance to a lot of myths in almost every episode, and we're pretty eclectic. We do stuff like uh, Singapore Theatre, we've done Prata, we've done uh, even like military episodes like uh, Pukul Habits, which is a very interesting... Yeah, we can be edgy too. We've done yeah. prostitution. We've done prostitution. Yeah. Uh, you, mean, you mean the topic? <laughs> we've, we've covered the topic of prostitution. Mom, if you're listening to this, I have never... I have never... That's edgy. That's edgy. It's yeah. kind of sad that you have to say you're edgy too. You know? like, We're edgy too. <laughs> That's really edgy. Yeah. So, so we... Yeah, Elliot and I are just two guys who, who chat on a weekly basis and... Not the smartest tools in the shed, but uh, that's not even the saying. It's like not the sharpest tools in the shed. Yeah. But we try our best to learn alongside the audience and we do the research so that you don't have to. Yeah. So if you care about the Singapore identity or you want to build a closer relationship with being Singaporean, then yeah, tune in and join us and be part of our community. And, you know, we look forward to, to having you there. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Hey, I hope you've learned something useful today and I truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconuts. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our socials, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. For more information, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead, stay tuned next week, and remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. We have three questions for both of you. The first one, what's one core life principle that you hold? Rovit, you want to have a go? Uh, one core life principle is that we are the masters of our own destiny. So, you know, anything that you feel is a given, challenge it and ask yourself, what would you do if you could change things? Yeah. Dang, dude. <laughs> How am I going to follow up from that? Just be yourself. No, no, but I, I do have one and I have it tattooed on my, on my arm. It says, everything grows with love. I think that's very important. No matter what happens, I always show love and respect towards the subject. Angry or not, right? His, that's the only way we evolve. Can you see ways. how balanced we are as a, yeah. <laughs> <as> a co-host? <laughs> <laughs> Next question, and Elliot can go first for this one. We're a finance podcast, so what's one piece of financial advice that you think should be shared more often? Um, I think it's important. Like Personally, I learned this just this year, 
but save more than you spend, okay? Save <laughs> more than you spend. Very important. Dude, though. I was expecting something more sophisticated. No, I'm not a man of sophistication. Uh, I think, Reggie, you, you've heard me in the past hour. Not my strong point. Simplicity is the highest so, form no, of sophistication. I, I tell you something, because I was not, I'm, I'm an arts student, okay? Like, through and through literature, history, philosophy, that's, that's my gem. Uh, so when I started caring about my personal finances, what I learned was that the easiest way is to give me a simple principle and then elaborate from there. So one of my best friends, he works in the finance sector. He was like, L, if you don't hear anything I say today, just remember, save more than you spend. Then after that, we'll talk about investments. And from, from there on, start learning and start putting money in stocks now, buying to index funds because I'm you know very risk adverse. Wow, yeah. Look at me grow. This, <laughs> this is my glow up, basically. <laughs> Rovic? Uh, I would say, don't let financial choices shape your values let your values shape your financial choices like to me that decision to to rent was such a big one because i just i had to ask myself do i care about asset appreciation or do i care about independence and i said well my value is independence and that shaped how i planned the rest of my finances you're right about the balance thing, bro. Like, I'm not... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yin and yang, man. This yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Final question. What's one area of your life that you're giving additional focus right now? Uh, I would say I am trying... Well, so this is not related to SG Explained or personal finance, but I think I've been very curious about how we build communities and how different groups of people can come together. I think in Singapore, we're seeing that a lot more. I actually went for a facilitation course just because I felt... I wanted to do that more. And so, yeah, I think we can do a lot more to bring different communities together. And maybe in SG Explain, we are doing that by by putting the spotlight on different groups of people and, and really showing how that contributes to the identity. Yeah. yeah, You and I aren't so different in that regard, Rovic. So I recently, in the past couple of years, I started a creative agency called Start Something Studios. And that's where all my focus has been in the meantime, trying to help not just in like company growth, but I've been putting a lot of particular attention into talent development, trying to help, you know, a lot of, a lot of the youngsters who join startups. Um, for them, this is their first job, trying to understand what it's like to be in the working world. And I've been part of some pretty bad, like, <laughs> jobs in my life. Not YouTube, but YouTube is the best. Um, <laughs> back then, I was working in, like, MNC. so loaded. Not YouTube, I wasn't going there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so defensive. No, because I'm scared people be like, oh, maybe he had a bad time. Yeah, but he's flashing around. <laughs> yeah, work before three potatoes wasn't always like the best, uh, and that's because of the work culture. You mean so. the other fruit company? Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. The companies in your area. Wow, <laughs> what are you guys getting at? Um, but yeah, we we really want. I, I really wanted to make sure that. Uh, put a lot of particular attention into working culture, making sure that someone's first job, whether it's an internship or their first full-time stint, uh, is something fruitful and they understand their value and worth. You know, uh, Companies don't have to be, how do I say, robots, right? Yeah. yeah. In that regard, your... I feel like we're, we're pretty similar then. Yeah, yeah exactly what I said. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the only thing we found overlap today. <laughs> Finally, we've reached common ground. Thank you. Thank you, Rovic. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, both of you. Thank you. Thank you for Thank having us. Thank you for having us. Honestly, yeah. you're a great time. We can't wait to have you on our show pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be great. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.